Hello everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of the COVID-19 internship. On today's episode, you'll get to hear my conversation with Sandy Carter, a vice president at Amazon Web Services. And this is how our conversation went. Okay, awesome. So I'll get right into it. But before I start asking you the questions, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. So my name is Sandy Carter, and I'm a vice president at Amazon Web Services. I have been at Amazon for about three and a half years, which now seems like a long time, but a short time at the same time. My current role, I am vice president for public sector partners and programs. But before this, I actually started, kind of kickstarted our enterprise workload group which was kind of fun, kind of doing a startup with inside of Amazon. Before that, I was a startup and a founder for a little company of my own, which was really cool. I was building a Myers-Briggs assessment, like a personality assessment, a cult assessment for a company, and then putting that, matching that to a set of innovation tactics. So it was really fascinating using AI and ML. And then before that, I worked for IBM, and I worked for IBM in the Watson space, which is AI. I did IoT and cloud as well. So I've kind of been doing those technologies now for about the last five years. I'm also a mom of two beautiful daughters. One, I think, will be a big STEM advocate coder, I think. Um, the other one will be a will be in technology, will be a user of tech with, with computer am- animation. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'll get to the first question, which is kind of a moment to reflect on your past and your past experiences, which was, what has been your favorite internship or first job experience that you had and why? Well, for me, my favorite one actually was when I graduated from Harvard Business School and I came into a company and we were, was a product manager, product management leader. And they hired me into a banking group. And that was really interesting because I had no banking expertise. They were looking for a strong business leader and someone who understood technology as a product leader. And so I kind of drew back on all my experiences of what would make for a great product manager. And I was thinking, wow, I have no banking experience. And we're expected to design requirements for a teller application and a check processing application. And so I went to my team and I was like, okay, who here has got great banking experience? And nobody did. So I was like, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. So I went to the CEO of one of the banks. He was alumni from my school. And I said, hey, we're supposed to be doing this project, but I don't see how we can do it without understanding what banking's like. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, we'll put together a proposal, write up a proposal, come back to me. So I wrote up a proposal that my team would alternate in as as tellers we would actually be tellers and then then another group would actually go be in the chess processing division so we can understand that and then we would do a set of interviews not just with his bank but with other banks in the area he was um part of the aba the american banking association Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of in my first job how i got my my claim to fame because our first product nailed the requirements because each of us had been a teller we understood what was needed. We also understood the technologies who were able to bring the boat together. And so that was really fascinating with me because now I'm at Amazon and everything's about working backwards from the customer. So it's just like a direct hit on what's really needed. 
Yeah, that's amazing that you were able to implement that to give everyone that hands-on experience to actually understand the perspective that you are trying to nail because it is really important if you're going to make something for those people specifically. Yeah, and I was I was very grateful that you know the bank didn't have to do that, and I know it slowed them down because being a teller is not as easy as it looks. Yes. So they had to train us and everything for only four weeks worth of work, but. The way the CEO described it to me, he said that they bought most of the products from this company I worked for, and therefore it would only make his life better in the long run. So he had a great long-term perspective, and we did as well because we spent the time to do that. Of course, uh, it delayed our product by about three months, but so well worth it. So well worth it. Yeah, and you always have to put the little things first at times when it comes to that stuff. So I agree, and. Absolutely. As you were saying that you did this experience and you had to go through all these processes, I was wondering what were some valuable lessons that you learned from that experience? Well, the most valuable lesson is pretty obvious, but it's about working backwards from the customer, always starting with the customer and figuring out what they want. Um, And the interesting thing was, you know, when we did focus groups, the tellers would say, we want this. Mm -hmm. And then once we were in there and we were actually doing the work, we're like, ah, we understand the goal, but I think we could deliver it to them better because we also understand the technology this way. And then we went back to double check and we're like, wow, that's really cool. So I think that was probably one of my best lessons learned is that you have to listen to the customer, but you can't only listen to the customer. You also have to sort through understanding the problem versus understanding the solution. And everybody always tries to jump to the solution, right? Right. Uh, That was a big learning for me, for sure. Yeah. And going back to that experience again, what would you say were probably the hardest parts of it as well? Well, I think there were two hard parts. One was admitting that we didn't know enough. Like here we were, you know, college grads with masters and PhDs going to be a teller. That <laughs> yeah. was a little hard for some of the people, especially on the team. They're like, why do I have to go be a teller? I, I can do it better. Um, so I think that was really hard was inspiring the team that I was leading to say, this is going to be worth it. I know you don't really want to be a teller. That's why you did technology, which they kept telling me, but the experience will be very valuable. So, you know, just inspiring them and getting them to do that right at the very beginning was hard and really, I think, important. And then I think the second hardest thing was figuring out, you know, answering that first question, okay, what do they need? And the first question that you ask and answer is probably the easiest one. It's when you keep asking that question that you get a better answer. So I remember in the check processing area, uh, we had all done a stint in check processing and we we're like, okay, this is the problem. This is how we can solve it. But then as we thought more and asked more questions and more questions and more questions, we were like, wow, that initial idea was good, but we had a great idea on the third iteration. And so I think that was another hard lesson to learn is that sometimes when you're innovating, you want to go with that first answer yeah. uh, and not kind of push past and kind of get to the best answer. I'll give an analogy, you know, I love Deep Racer from AWS. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the first question that that product solved, which was, you know, hey, we don't have enough machine learning skills. How do we get skills? Well, the obvious answer is, well, let's add more classes. Let's do more certifications. That's the obvious answer. The not so obvious answer comes when you keep asking that question, which is how can we put 
machine learning in the hands of every developer. Yeah. Can't we be creative and make it easy, make it fun, make it to where, you know, an elementary school kid wants to do it. And so I, that's why I love Deep Racer and Deep Composer. It really showcases that when you push past that first question and the easy answer that you really get to the good stuff. Yeah, like the really deep innovator, deeply effective type of things. Oh, I 100% right. agree with that. And you were mentioning that you were in IBM for a bit, then you moved over. So out of curiosity, how do you think your previous experiences and interests helped you find out what kind of industry and the job that you wanted when you graduated, et cetera? Well, it's really interesting. My internships were really wild. I wanted to be a vet. So I worked at a vet for a summer. I worked with a dentist office for a summer because I thought I might want to do that. Yeah. Um, I worked at a marketing company for a summer. So I was like all over the place. So I don't get shocked when my daughter says, you know, I either want to be a doctor or a computer animator or this. I'm like, <laughs> you go for it because you just don't know. Yeah. Um, I would tell you that... Um, the interesting thing about an internship, it's so valuable because you get to figure out what you love about that particular area. And sometimes it's not the area, it's what you're doing. Like I found out that I love to solve problems. That's what I love to do. I like a really meaty, deep problem and trying to figure out, okay, how can we work through this? And the meatier, the very, the better that it is, right? Yeah. And so for me, that was one of the biggest things that I learned was that the industry wasn't as important as having the ability to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when you see me in my career, I went from doing product development, product management, sales, marketing, BD, always taking something with me, but always learning something as well along the way. Also, that's why I went from a very big company to a startup, to smaller companies, to Amazon, Again, just learning everywhere you go. I think as long as in your internship, you're really curious, yeah. asking questions, really want to dive deep. I think you'll really learn a lot about yourself and what your superpowers are. Yeah, I, I love that you even mentioned that you had no idea at first because I feel like a lot of students, even upon graduating, they still don't know. And it's kind of like, I should know by now, but why don't I know by now? So like being able to like keep that in mind when you're graduating, et cetera, it must be really important as well. And yeah. since you have so many projects that you've worked on and you've been in so many places, I was curious, what has been a favorite project that you worked on on a previous position and a project that you're working on now that have been your favorites? Well, one of my favorite projects was um, I was working with AI technology. Mm -hmm. And we were figuring out how to do the training in the appropriate way, how to do the tagging right, how to how to set up the visual cues, what was required in the training. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I like that is everybody thought it was a technology question, right? How do you do the training? But it was so much more than that. It was a, a data question. Mm -hmm. It was a business question. It was really kind of this multifaceted, really tough, tough, tough question that you had to get into. And so it was my favorite project because it enabled me to bring to bear, how do you learn? How does someone learn? Yeah. How do I bring that to a computer? How do I get the data? Like I, So now I know what I want to learn, but how do I get it? Some of it's structured, some of it's unstructured, some of it's on the computer, some of it's on a piece of paper. How do I gather up all that data? 
And then how do I effectively make sure that I'm making the best use of the, because cost was also a consideration, right? If you think about machine learning, most of the cost is not in the training modules, but it's in the inference that you have to do. So you've got to also think like playing chess, you've got to think like two or three moves ahead as well. And so I love bringing together the technology and the business and the data. I love that project because it had all of those elements in it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm very much similar to you and like being like, oh, I think I'll do this and this. When I graduated high school, I was like, oh, I want to do art because I really enjoy photography. And then I got into marketing and then like here I am now. Um, But with that like data and stuff coming at me in college, I realized like how much I enjoyed it and combining art and data is one of like my passions. So I completely see why that could be a project that you love so much. Yeah, you should talk to my daughter. That's what my my daughter is a great artist. And that's why she's doing computer animation because she likes to code. She loves art. So that computer animation. So then she can do gaming. There's so many options, right? There's too much too much fun stuff out there, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I recently took like a huge deep dive into UX design because I really do like graphic design too. And I was like, that's a whole other avenue. That's like like understanding a person and user experience and like that's really interesting to me. So there really is so much that you can do. And I feel like you don't get exposed to it all. And then you kind of slowly start seeing it. So yeah, (laughs) I would agree with your daughter. There's a lot out there. Um, But I wanted to ask you this question, um, this following question, because of everything that's going on right now. And obviously, everyone has been affected in different ways. So I was wondering how you managed to stay motivated and inspired before COVID and everything that's been going on in society today versus now that everything is going on? Well, I am, uh, my husband calls me the most optimistic person on the planet. So before COVID, I'm very energetic. I love, I love variety. I love traveling, right? Going to Paris, going to wherever, you know, just going and seeing my customers and my partners, that was what was really inspirational to me. It really motivated me. I'd go on a trip and I would spend a week with partners and then I'd come back and I was like pumped up and ready to go with my team. I have the very best team on the planet, by the way. (laughs) And then they were, they were also seeing customers. So we'd come back and we'd figure out what we wanted to do. And that was really inspirational. Okay. So now post COVID, you can't travel at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so given that I love to travel, I love the variety. How do you keep keep going and managing? So the first thing for me was as a leader, not thinking about me, but thinking about my team. Yeah. Uh, I really love my team. I have to tell you that. I really love my team. I think they're just, they're just incredible. I've never seen a more passionate but also just highly qualified group of people. And so for me, it was really important that we took care of them. Mm-hmm. And at Amazon, we're always very customer focused, customer obsessed. So I wanted to balance it, especially during these times with also being very employee obsessed. Yeah. So we kicked off a little, I don't know if you call it a campaign, but just something to always remind us, hashtag take care of the team. Yeah. And so we did things like virtual wine tasting. We had a, an all hands where we did a singing lesson. We did a photography lesson. We've been doing exercise. We do jumping jacks. Uh, so, and I know that doesn't seem like work, but it's, it's part of work, right? Yeah. Because now more than ever, work and life is integrated. And so you have to give people avenues to express that. I noticed that my team was always sitting at their desk, yeah. always sitting in the same place. 
And so we dedicated 30 minutes and we all went out walking and we were all like talking while we were walking. And so we're just trying different things. There's no blueprint for this. So we're just trying to make sure that we're inspiring each other and that we're taking care of each other. And I love it because I run the partner team. And as we did hashtag take care of the team, a lot of my uh, managers and leaders said, okay, now we need hashtag take care of our partners. So then we started also, again, not just thinking about yourself, because I think it's really important to be inspirational. It's not all about you. And we started then thinking hashtag take care of our partners. So then we started. So anyway, um, I think, you know, this is a really hard time. I'm not going to lie. I have to tell you, you know, I've gotten in my car and driven somewhere just so I could cry to be by myself because there's someone always around me. (laughs) But but it's also a very inspirational time because I think we are doing things that we've never thought we could do at rates and pace we've never done before because our customers are moving. They're driving digital transformation because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things, at least in tech, that has also kept it running, the fact that people are like, now we need more. So it's kept people in your positions and other positions motivated, like, how can we give more and make it work better for everyone as well? So it's been interesting to see, at least from the sidelines, since I'm not involved in anything of that sort yet. (laughs) And you were kind of going into it. But how would you say COVID-19 has affected you and your job and the way that you were able to do things? Yeah, I will say that, you know, we work in public sector, which is not just government, it's education, it's, you know, healthcare, it's space, it's really exciting areas, but it moves a little bit slow. They move on their own time frame. Yeah. And with COVID, COVID has really uh, driven digital transformation. You know, there's that funny meme that's going around on social media right now. Who was the core driver of digital transformation in your company? Was it your CIO, your CEO, or COVID? And everybody picked COVID. And so what that did, though, is it enabled our customers to move at lightning speed. Customers who said, I'm going to wait two years, took like two months. Uh, and so I think it really has changed our speed of working and the way we had to help them, but also our, you know, as you're looking at return on investment, you always look at return on investment on your profit, on your money. But the cool thing about what we do is we also do ROI on our purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we were helping customers, you know, states who had six hour wait times, people calling and asking about what do I do in COVID? And we helped them go to from six hour wait times to 20 second wait times literally. And we were helping on research. We formed a data lake with knowledge so that people could do better research. We were helping nonprofits figure out how to get access to funds. Yeah. And it all has not just a business purpose, but a purpose, like changing the world purpose. And I think that it's always been there in our roles, but it was really heightened that awareness. And that is very inspirational during this time. Yeah, I'm sure it is to like be able to see how your partners are being more successful and how you've been able to like help that is probably amazing to watch from your side of things as well. Since you're in tech, I mean, obviously public sector to a certain extent as well. I was curious, how well do you think that your industry has felt, but also dealt with the impact of COVID-19 and reacting to it? Well, for us, you know, it's impacting every business differently. Um, 
you know, some of the smaller nonprofit supporters that we talk with, they're struggling and we're trying to help them with things like Hello Alice, which is a business center to help get them help. Some of the areas have had cost cuts significantly. And so the good thing is, you know, we're AWS, we help people get to the cloud and that helps your cost and your agility. And so I would say uh, it not only increased the sense of urgency, but also the sense of importance of what we were doing or what we were able to do, helping states or counties or agencies reach their cost-cutting goals because of what we have available for us and the ability to provide that to people very, very quickly and with technical talent. So I think that, you know, for me right now, you know, working across the world globally, Um, helping countries and states and travel and transportation and healthcare and all those areas, I think the impact was we got to get to cloud faster. And so for us, that has really led to very long days and nights, but also a lot of purpose because it does come with not just helping a company, but helping citizens. And that's who we are. So we're helping ourselves. Yeah. In the long term, that's exactly who you'd be impacting. So it's lovely. And Obviously, you're really high up. You have your team that you love. So I was wondering, you kind of went into it, but how do you lead your team during this time? And maybe how has your leadership style changed because of what's going on? I think that I've always tried to be very compassionate, but I think during this time, I think it's much more about compassion. And it's much more about, what would I say, one-on-one leadership. You know, we talk about, reaching customers and it's no longer multi-channel, it's one-on-one. And I think that's what our leadership style now really has to be because everybody has different needs right now. Some people are single and they're alone. And because they're single and they're alone, you know, they have different needs and someone who's at home with five kids that they have to do virtual schooling for. And so I think more and more it demands from us a more compassionate leadership, a more of a focus on your EQ versus your IQ, mm-hmm. really making sure that you're present even when you're distant and that you're focusing on emotions because emotions matter. They're intertwined in us. And it's important to understand that emotions impact us every day. And it's very valuable to really look, look at that. Yeah, I would say the second thing of leadership is just that um, in this time of COVID, you have to be a very agile leader yeah. because there isn't a blueprint. You've got to figure it out. And that means you're going to try something. You might make a mistake and you've got to, so you've got to collaborate cross-functionally more. You've got to forge more partnerships. So I think this time of COVID as well, and for a leader, not only do they have to be aware and compassionate and one-on-one with their employees, they also have to be agile in the way they run the business. And then finally, I think they have to think about how they anchor to a new true north. Mm -hmm. So one of the interesting things, Rebecca, is that we serve startups, but we also watch, right, and experience startups. And I, you know, I was just really, it was really interesting to me to see, I know someone who was getting married and they found that the place that was conducting, you know, designing wedding dresses pivoted to do masks. We have a favorite restaurant here we go to, which is a formal dining place, small business. They pivoted to do takeout and virtual concerts on Zoom. And so for me, it was just, you know, pretty interesting. Like, what is your true north? What does your customer need now? It may not be long-term what they need, but what do they need now 
as they're moving forward. So I think those are kind of the three things, more compassion and one-on-one with your employees, that agile leadership, and finally, last but not least, figuring out where your true north is, because it's not where it was, it's where it's going. Yeah, I love your last point, because I feel like that was the thing that really set companies apart, just being able to react and do it fast and finding that need as quickly as possible, because the sooner they did it, the sooner they were able to get back on track. So it's it's been interesting to see how like more companies popped up on Instagram and like are selling things there or are using more of like the applications and Uber Eats, etc., which also has some issues within itself. But it's been interesting to see, obviously, as a consumer, how it has impacted everyone as well. Yeah, completely agree. And this is a question I kind of asked because of my current experience, but I know you're higher up and you probably don't deal with interns anymore. But if your team got interns right now, how would you make sure that they got that full internship experience that they would have had if they were in person? Well, I do have interns right now, and I love interns because they bring such great knowledge into the team. I actually just did a roundtable with all of the interns on my team. I think we have about 25 or 30 interns from all different walks of life, from all different schools. It was really, really amazingly cool. And so we tried really hard because all the internships were virtual, right? And that's hard because, you know, when I was an intern, we had volleyball leagues and we had dinners and we had fun. We had all this fun. And so we tried to recreate some of that virtually. We connected the interns up. We had, we got them virtual meetings with different executives. We had them present their ideas. We did a mini shark tank, which was kind of fun. I don't think it matched the experience that you would have in person. However, I told them, you know, if you think about it this way, they're the first group of interns ever at Amazon that have done that internship virtually. They won't be the last, but they were the first. How cool is that to get to shape that experience for interns going forward, doing it virtually? So I said, give us all your ideas, you know, let us know other things. Like some of them said, we should do like a weekly happy hour virtually for them. Or, you know, when you give us a computer, you need to do this or that kind of stuff. So it was really helpful. And I tried to really emphasize, you will change the way that Amazon works. And that is something cool to have on your resume, right? (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome that you asked them for feedback and asked them like how you can make it better. So they felt like they were being heard, but also it helps obviously your team in the long run develop a more efficient and successful program. So that's amazing. And I have a question from you that I actually got from another person I interviewed. So I'll ask you two of those. And the first one is, what do you do when things don't work out? What do I do when things don't work out? Well, I think nothing ever works out as it's supposed to work out, right? I was a little late for this meeting. I mean, nothing ever works out the right way. So in my mind, I always try to make whatever happens into something that's good. So, you know, let's take COVID, for instance. I think right now my team is closer as a team than they ever have been before. I started doing daily stand-ups so we could be together. We could share. We're doing more things personal, like uh, like our wine tasting and our singing lessons and our yodeling and all that, that we wouldn't have done because everybody would have been on the road, right? And there's big value of being on the road and it's fun. Yeah. 
But then you just have to figure out, okay, it didn't work out that way. So how am I going to make the way it turned out work right? And that's kind of my philosophy without, you know, throughout life. In fact, one, one of my teammates today was supposed to do something and, and it didn't work out that way. And I said, you know, I always say that whatever happens, happens for a reason. Yeah. So figure out the good in it. And if you can do that, if you can constantly do that, you'll be further ahead. You'll innovate faster. You'll have more friends. You'll be a funner person to be around. There's just so much value in doing that. Yeah, I am also in my friend group. They call me sometimes like a ray of sunshine because I'm like, it's it's okay. It happened. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, just take it day by day. We were gone for COVID, but we'll be back as long as we graduate. Like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There you go. Right. Right. So it's it's the little things. At least that's how I see it as well. So I agree. And I have a question for you. It's a little more AI based, which I thought would be interesting to ask you since you're so involved in that space. Do you believe AI will have a greater positive effect or negative effect on society? And how do you think that we can make sure that it has a greater positive effect? Hmm. Well, I think by far it's going to have a greater positive effect. I mean, I'm already working with startups who are, you know, able to help you identify skin cancer and doing that so much faster and with so much better accuracy. You know, we have the ability to use AI to solve really hard business problems. And that's really helping out today and how we get things done. So like the call center, call center seems kind of boring, but when you embed it with AI, it gets you down from eight hours to 20 seconds. There's there's just so many great use cases and ways that I see AI working, even in one of our startups, Hello Alice, and they're looking at, you know, how do we help small businesses? So there are small business helping other startups and small businesses. They used AI to tag material to help their small businesses find the right information, get access to the right ones. So I really believe in the long run, it's going to be much better for us. I do think that that will create new jobs, different types of jobs. And I think that that's going to be a really important part of making sure it's AI for good, like hashtag AI for good, Um, making sure that we don't leave anyone behind, that we bring people with us. And that's why I'm so excited about some of the things that AWS is doing, like with Deep Racer and Deep Composer, where they want to put AI in the hands of every developer, not just a set of data scientists, not making an elite thing. And so for me, I see the good side of it. I anticipate what could happen as evil. But when you can use AI to help reduce human trafficking, when you can use AI to help better meet citizen needs, when you can use AI to help on cancer identification, I think those things far outweigh the other pieces that could happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. As long as it's in the right hands and people are using it appropriately, I think it has so much more good to give than bad. And the last question I'll ask you from another interviewee is, what scares you the most? <laughs> what scares me the most? Yeah. Hmm. I think, well, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but, you know, I was thinking the other day, what if COVID had happened 10 years ago? That to me scares me because I would be like, you know, you'd have no computer, you have no mobile device, you have no video, you, 
I mean, then you're going to be like sitting there all alone in your house. That I don't like that idea. So I guess what scares me about thinking about that is I always want to be adding value to society. I never want to be retired or sitting around doing nothing. I always want to be giving back. That's probably the biggest and the most scary thing for me is ensuring that COVID or any other crisis that comes along that I'm always learning and being curious to find that next thing, that next layer of value that I can provide. So I'm not left behind that. I'm always in the front helping to lead some of this change that will occur. Yeah. I love that. I remember sitting down and with my family and stuff, we were talking about like, God, if this happened a while ago, like how would schools kick back up? How do we, we know the things that we know as fast as we know them. And it would be a, a really different, more scary world. For sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And now that I've asked you a couple of questions from interviewees, I was wondering if you could give me a question that I could ask someone else that I interview next time. One of the questions that I would love to know is um, this crisis isn't just about COVID. There's been like a series of crises that have come one on top oh, yeah. of another on top of another. So I think if we had had one crisis, it would be a different ballgame. But with crises being layered on top of each other, I think it presents a an area that has had no blueprint at all. We're making it up as we go. So I would love to know kind of what are the top three leadership hacks that the next person has used successfully and if they could share those because I would love to borrow some of those ideas as well. Yeah, I, I would love to borrow those as well. <laughs> Something to keep in my back pocket. <laughs> right you got to learn from others yeah yeah I completely agree I'm in an organization in my school and we're also dealing with the shift to virtual that's completely new for us as well we're always trying to learn from other people there's been so many like organizational Facebook groups have opened up to be like oh well we're doing this and let us know if it like works for you guys and stuff like that which like it's so important because none of us know what we're doing so we might as well learn from each other while we're doing it yeah i completely agree with that because there are different techniques and best practices for remote communication yeah. like uh you know i was just thinking the other day like how can a school teacher be more successful teaching virtually and they say that you know when you're virtual you're always staring at yourself like when you're in a meeting in a room you're staring you're looking at others yep. but everybody tends to gravitate to their own self so what does my hair look like? You know, is my nose too shiny? What's going on? So you're kind of, you know, it's a different ball game, right? And so I think there's a bunch of best practices. I think that's why, um, you know, there's a new social tool out there called Clubhouse. And it's like, it's like, an, I call it like an audio group. I imagine it kind of like a CB radio club for <laughs> the next generation. You know, it's all the, all audio, no video, no text. And I think one of the reasons it's, become so successful so fast is that there are so many people today who are alone and don't have anything else going on. And so that gives them an avenue to communicate. And I find it a fascinating case study around how you remotely learn through a social group, because I've, I've been listening and I've been learning through that. I just think there's so many fascinating, again, back to our point, right? You, you and I, Rebecca, we like to do lots of things, right? Like I would, I'm like, I'm almost like a, you know, oh, I want to do that. Oh, no, that, no, that. And so there's just so many exciting things yeah. out there that you can focus in on during this time. 
Yeah. As since we started this, I feel like everyone was like, you have so much time, do everything. It's like, but I really don't have that much time to do everything. <laughs> so I, I completely agree with that. And I actually have my last question for you, which is, what are some words of wisdom that you could give to students like me who got their internship canceled, people who have been furloughed, or just people in general that are listening in? Well, my biggest piece of advice would be to, you know, set your own true north. We talked about a company setting their own true north, but what would you like to set as your true north? And it has to be a true north in today's world, not yesterday's world, in today's world. So I'm so sorry your internship was canceled. I wish I had known because we would have tried to get you over here. <laughs> we had lots of internships. What I would say, though, is what are the skills that are going to be so important in the future now? And can you spend some time learning those? Is that, you know, getting your AWS cert? There's a cloud practitioner out there that's a certification through Cloud Guru. Is that something you'd want to do? Is it that you want to, you know, master remote learning? Or last night I was on Clubhouse and someone was talking about, they felt like a new skill that was going to come up would be content management in the new digital world. We've done a lot of content management that is kind of online, but what about voice and what about video? How do you do content management around that? I just see, again, there's so much opportunity. I think you need to sit down, take the time, sit down and figure out where do you want to be? What are you seeing as changes? And there's lots of stuff to read out there that I think is very insightful right now. And then what can you do to make yourself the most valuable self you can be in the new world? So is that an AI skill? Is that a business skill? Is it a content management skill? Um, what is it? And that's what I would focus on if I was uh, a student that had my internship. Like you are, you're doing this podcast. How <laughs> cool is that, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I've definitely picked up several things. I started the podcast. My dad was always on me about learning uh, HTML, even though I sort of knew it. He was like, really do it, like pick it up, understand it. So I did that. I'm trying to get into CSS now. And then and that's how I eventually led myself down to UX design, which I'm waiting ever so patiently for Google to release their new certificate on so I can just jump on it and get it done so I can see if it's something I really enjoy. So I completely agree that just to keep going and keep learning is definitely something. Yeah, I agree. And to learn the right skills, you know, I was with a student, they had asked us to do mentoring for a set of next generation students like yourself. And, you know, one person said, well, I've always wanted to learn, you know, how to paint and how to do this. And I think that's great. I'm not saying don't do that. But I was asking them, I said, okay, well, the world is going to shift. And those are fun things. And you need that. You need that balance. But what's going to be the new thing you learn? That's going to take your, because they wanted to have a career. What's right. going to take your career forward? Or can you combine those two things? So I love the fact that you're doing this podcast and you're doing other things. That it's kind of a combination of your passion plus something that's going to help you get the next job too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Um, but that's basically the last question. So that wraps up the interview. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you, Rebecca. That was really fun. I and long story short, that's exactly how my conversation with Sandy went. I hope that you were able to learn something new and that you're staying safe and healthy. A quick shout out to Sandy. Thank you so much for jumping on that call with me and giving me the time to ask you all these questions. I really appreciate it. 
and to the listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you follow at COVID-19 Internship on Instagram and keep listening because there's a lot more coming.